We started a thing at the national office, I just wanted to share this for a preach, called the World Prayer Center. I don't know if you've heard of it yet or not, but back a couple years ago, Doug and I were having a good meeting, and we met with the LT and asked them, you know, how important is prayer to us, blah, 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 100%. Why don't we have a prayer center? The Assemblies of God should have a prayer center. We should have a World Prayer Center. And, and so we began to kind of lay out a plan. There was a building. The building is between Central Assembly and the main office. And it used to be, if you've ever been there, the Radiant Life Bookstore. If you've been there, you would know that. All right. Well, it closed down a long time ago because they weren't selling enough books to keep it open. So, so the books, so we used it for other things since I've been there. But then we, the last thing we used it for just quit. And so it was empty. So I had planned on putting the World Prayer Center inside where the print shop was because we also went out of the printing business. We're still in the publishing business, but it's cheaper to let other people print it. So we, we got out of the print business. So I was going to take the print shop, turn it into a prayer shop. That sounded kind of cool anyway. You know, so I thought they'd be neat. Doug comes to me and says, why don't we just give you that building? Then you don't have to bring people praying through, the, through all the security stuff. Great idea. So we took that building. We've now spent quite a bit of money on it. We've got it completely remodeled and turned it into the Assemblies of God World Prayer Center. It's so cool. The worship center part of it is just wonderful. It seats about 150, and we can have just incredible worship. It's got prayer places for you to go. It's got some offices to help manage it and run it. But then it's got the main prayer room. To go in there, you leave the world, the worship center, and they, we pull these drapes back, and you walk into my simulation of the throne room. We have a 20-foot by 30-foot LED floor. That's the glass, the sea of glass. It's connected to Google Earth. And we can bring up any place in the earth and prayer walk it right there in that room. It is so cool. We, uh, we bring up all kind of, we'll bring it, the whole earth will be turning. We'll get around the earth and then, then we'll uh, begin to pray over key places. And, and when and districts are coming, bringing their presbytery board. That's, that's quite a few have brought their presbytery board. And they come in and we do a part of the prayer in the main part. And we do have this prayer process we go through. And then we go in there. And we begin to pray around the world. It gets so dynamic. And then we'll bring up their district. We'll bring up America. And we'll prayer walk America. We'll start in the Pacific Ocean. And we'll walk all the way across the nation praying for the nation. It's just so cool. And then we'll bring up Washington, D.C. We'll put the White House right in the center. And we'll just stand around and pray over the White House and pray over. And we'll, then we'll bring up their state and bring up their state capital. Then the pastors there will start bringing up their churches. We'll just stand around their churches and walk their communities. We can walk up and down Main Streets anywhere in the world. When World Missions is over there, they bring up this nation and that nation. And they'll bring up this city. And they just prayer walk it. And wherever the sole of your foot shall trod, we believe we're going to get it. And so we're prayer walking. So it's, a, it's our symbol of the throne room in heaven. It's been really dynamic. One more thing we're doing. We're, uh, we now have 20 couples that have felt like God's called them. They've been through our process, and they're now in the process to raise their budget to become full-time prayer missionaries. Our goal is to have them do two things. One is keep, help us keep that thing in prayer all the time. Number two is help us organize churches to come in. And my goal is a different church praying every day from around America. That as soon as one church finishes, another one will come in and say, it's our turn. We're going to keep the light on here. We're going to keep prayer going. And we're going to pray around the world day after day. Those four things I led you in last night, those are being prayed every day at the World Prayer Center. We believe prayer is the key to everything. Everything I preached last night, I believe it. And so we're fulfilling that by the World Prayer Center. I just want you to know that was going on. Someday your church is going to want to come there. And uh, you're going to want to take your day and take your turn. And you're going to love it. I'm still, my teams are still raising their funds. I have two missionaries completely funded now. And uh, they're in, one's already there. Another one's on their way there. We've got to keep, their, keep them doing their work. I need that whole team. And with that team, we'll also be able to go to places where, let's say you're about to have a district council or a, or a network council. They can come in three days before and begin to pray and help you and sustain in prayer and prepare the place for what God's about to do. They can also go into church. We're doing our first church at the, at the request of the Alabama district where an entire area of their state, they feel like, needs a spiritual breakthrough. So they took one of their churches and they're hosting 10 days of prayer. And so our team, even though my missionaries aren't funded, are going to be there to lead it. 
but they're bringing people from all over their state, and they're going to believe that in 10 days they can change the atmosphere in that community. And so it'll be our first one that we do, and we're going to prove this works. We're taking video. It's going to be, we're going to show the power of prayer, and we're going to help the American church. We're going to help the Assemblies of God church especially restore prayer to the place where it ought to be in every church. Those teams will, yeah, shout a little bit. I think that's pretty cool. It's all a part of, the, of a process. I'm, we're a year away from having the team there, having them ready to really begin to welcome a different church every day. I don't have the team to do it right now. We've got to get those guys funded. Uh, if you ever feel led to send some money to the World Prayer Center, we'll take it and we'll use it to help those guys with their funding and keep this moving. So far, the floor cost a half a million dollars and we were able to raise the money for all of that. And Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. And then you say, why did it cost that much? Because when you're standing this close, you have to have the closest pixels possible on that screen or else it's just a big blur. So we had to buy the best of the best of the best. And it is really cool. You can stand right there and just walk down this main street of somewhere and see the trees and the houses. Obviously, it's not live, but whenever the picture was taken for Google Earth and we walk it, it is the coolest thing in the world. And you got and you and you people start praying. The next thing you know, they're all on their faces, all over it, and crying on my good floor. And I'm saying, "Come on, man! Don't be putting tears on my floor." And uh, it's just it's just phenomenal. And uh, I just wanted you to be aware of it that it's in the works. And the more we're praying, the more we're already seeing in places around the world. We're already seeing a shift, just that little bit. And I want to. I asked Superintendent, "How long have y'all been doing this?" He said, "Around 20 years, maybe a little longer." You've been doing this. Can I tell you that during that 20 years, you've become one of the most dynamic districts in the Assemblies of God? That during that 20 years, you've seen incredible health, incredible multiplication, incredible numbers. And look at this play, the facilities God has given you during that 20 years. You are setting in seats, proving that consistent faithful prayer makes a difference. What you're doing. You showed up this week, said, I didn't feel anything special. You may not have felt anything special, but you did something special. And what you did is making a difference. And just, you just keep doing this kind of stuff. Now go home to your church and make sure you're doing that kind of stuff. And you just keep it going. And one day you look up and you don't know when it happened, but it happened because of faithfulness and consistency. Remember what Elisha said to the guys on Mount Carmel. He said, go get some water. And they did, and they came back. And I don't know where they had to go get it, but probably, remember, it was a drought. They probably had to go all the way down to the Sea of Galilee to get the water. They come all the way back up, and they pour it out. And he said, now do it again. <laughs> and they said, well... That was hard. He said, I know, do it again. And so they did it again. Then he said, do it again. Sometimes it's those do it agains that we don't see anything big. But what we don't know is everywhere the water went is where the fire would go after it fell. And only would it go where the water had already gone. What you're doing now is preparing for the next move of God, whether you feel it or not, whether you sense it. Sometimes doing it again is just hard work. Back down the hill carry a pot of water back up the hill. It's just hard work. Do it again. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And when the Holy Spirit pours out his fire, everything you've done is going to suddenly make sense. And all the work you've been doing is going to come into view that you did the right thing. And when it comes to prayer, just keep doing it again. Don't let it be based on anything else. I am not, that is not my sermon. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach tonight. Because thanks to the Lord, we now have a sermon in front of me that's something else. And I want to preach this. I'm going to set this up, and I'm going to preach it kind of fast because it's, it's, it should be a two-parter, and that's the truth. I'm trying to preach part B and A. Actually, I'm going to do A first. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to go through this really fast. I, this is not what I was going to do, but this morning when I was praying for you, I just came heavy on my heart, and I couldn't shake it. And uh, some of you folks that were at the missions summit we did in Cancun for Latin American Caribbean, some of you missionaries heard this. I did it back before general council. So if you heard it back then, you're about to hear it again. If you're glad to hear it again, good. If you're not, just keep that to yourself. And we're going to go through this as fast as we can. Genesis 1, verses 14 through 15 says this. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Father, in the name of Jesus, I really feel like you pushed me into this this morning. So there's somebody here that needs this very bad. I pray for them. I pray they would have ears to hear what the Spirit, not me, what the Spirit is saying to the church. That you would just have your way. You would accomplish. And Lord, for those who don't need this today, someday they will. 
And I pray that what they hear, they would receive into their spirit and it would be kept there for the right moment in the right time. That none of this would be lost. And that you would help me not try to do it all, but do what should be done. And you would guide me through this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. If we were to take the time to study all of creation, there's a whole lot we can talk about creation. We get into young earth and old earth and all those other things. We're not going there at all. What I want you to look at when I look at the days of creation, I look at the function of each day. Each day had a unique function from the days before. God did something unique. On day one, he said, let there be light. That was an act of revelation. Everything was dark. Nothing was visible. Nothing could be seen. And then God said, let there be light. And suddenly what was hidden came into focus. Every new work of God begins with fresh revelation. That's a whole message by itself. You're not getting that one tonight. On the second day, he created atmosphere, the expanse. Inside that expanse, he would plant everything he was going to plant, but he had already prepared an atmosphere that would support what he was about to do next. When God's about to answer one of your prayers, the first thing he has to do is shift the atmosphere to support the answer he's about to provide. If the atmosphere you have won't support it, then God's going to have to deal with the atmosphere where he can bring the answer. Otherwise, you're going to have the same need again and again and again because atmosphere is very powerful and it, it determines what lives and dies. That's how powerful. We have an atmosphere up here that's different than the atmosphere in Texas. And I can grow some stuff you can't, but you can grow some stuff I can't. Rita loves the blue spruce trees. But if I tried to grow those in Texas, it just wouldn't work. The atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies. You want to fix your church, fix your atmosphere. Hmm. I'm not preaching that today, but it's a good one. Number three, on the third day, he separates the land from the water. He begins to organize and structure. He puts the right things in right places and creates parameters. You can only go this far and you can only go that far. Until you have structure, you'll never live up to your potential. But be careful because the structure that got you here will also keep you here. Never marry your structure. There will always be a new structure needed to keep growing. That's another message. I don't have that one. On the, thir- on the fourth day, he, he establishes what I just read to you. He establishes seasons, days, and years. Now, I know it's on the same day that he creates the lights in the sky. It's the same day he creates the sun. And remember, he created light on the first day. The light he created there was a divine revelation. It was not the sun that we know today that would be what we discover as holding the light. God created light before he created sun. Oh, I wish I had time to preach that message and teach all that to you today. I don't, but there is a book coming next year, just so you know. All right, so, so that, that's a part of it. But, but we understand that what he said he did all of that for was so to mark the seasons, the days, and the years. We're going to really focus on that. If I were teaching the whole series, on the next day he added things that were not already in the mix. That when God created these things, the land began to bring forth, bring forth, bring forth. But it didn't bring forth everything. And what you have in your natural state as a church is good, but it's not everything. Some of the things you're going to need along the way will have to come from somewhere else. You've got to embrace that. Because if we only produce within, producing within is great, and most of the time it's wonderful. But there's a point where there's stuff God needs to put in me that I don't have. There's gifts he's given me, but my gifts alone will never accomplish everything God wants to do in me. I have to make room for your gift to be connected to my gift. The day of addition mattered. On the next day, he creates struggle, difficulty. He completes the cycle, the cycle of ecology that's established so that ecological process can kick in so that there's balance. And if there's not opposition, there won't be balance and there will only be weakness. The problem, one of the problems with the American church today is we have had too many years without enough opposition. So God is blessing us with opposition and it should drive us back to the strength and our strength is our prayer closet. And then he delegates authority to to Adam. He makes Adam and he delegates authority to him. All that will play out through the rest of the scripture. On the next day, he gives them rest. Why did he give them rest? Well, he was tired, and he wasn't really tired, but he established a a way for us to understand the power of rest. So rest what? Rest ends the cycle, but after rest, the cycle begins again on the next day with new revelation. New revelation only comes after old Sabbath. If you've not had a Sabbath, you'll cease to have revelation. Mm, Boy, that'll preach right there. I'm telling you. Some of you are wondering why God hasn't showed you anything. It's because you won't sit down and be still. That has nothing to do with today's message. I just wanted you to know that's where all this came from. We find this cycled in biblical stories and in our own lives. And today we see it it in, in the world we live in. 
My focus tonight, though, and in a hurry, and I really am in a hurry, it's 7.30 already. If you were wondering if I knew what time it was, I just want you to know I do. All right, now, God is, so God established days. What happens in a day? There's part of the day designed for work and part of it designed for rest. There's morning, there's evening, there's daylight, there's darkness. God creates a repetition of daytime. Some of the parts of the year, the day, daylight is longer, and parts of the year, the daylight is shorter, and the nights are longer. I get that, but there's still a repetition he put in place that day and it's still working today. You can still count on it, trust in it, it's still going to happen. On the next one, he created seasons. What do seasons do? Remember I talked about atmosphere. Seasons change atmosphere. So that in, the, in spring, the atmosphere is one way. It shifts a little bit as I move further from the sun or closer to the sun. In the, in the, in the cycle of what God's doing, the atmosphere will shift. So there are things that can happen in spring that can't happen in fall. And there are things that can happen in winter that can't happen in summer. Because again, the power of atmosphere. And so we know that we're going to have different seasons at different times. And then he puts them in years. What does he do that for? Because they're repeatable and dependable. So we know every year we're going to have a cycle of seasons. Now, are they going to be exactly the same? No, there's a little give and take. It's, we, we have a day on the calendar. We say winter begins here. But we know that winter probably here gets started a little early and then uh, carries right on through. In Texas, it says winter, and we're still playing golf. We just want you to know that. Winter comes for us two days later in the year. And they're a great two days. And then winter's over, and we go back. to. But we understand there is a cycle you caught that right and so there is a cycle to the process though and every one of those seasons matters you've got to know that for me to take you where I'm about to take you so if you're with me so far say amen, amen. all right Ecclesiastes 3 1 says it this way you can't beat it there's a time for everything in a season for every activity under heaven Time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, time to uproot, time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, time to build, time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance, time to scatter stones, time to gather them again. A time to embrace it, time to refrain, time to search, time to give up, time to keep, time to throw away. Some of you needed to hear that. A time to tear and a time to mend. Time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from all his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Isn't that a, pass isn't that a powerful passage? The old wise man was pretty wise. So Galatians comes along then in verse 6 and says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, King James season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He's showing the power of the rhythmic process of how God functions. Why is this so important? It's important because sometimes God's created an atmosphere for one thing and we're doing something else. All the farmers are going to enjoy today's message. I actually, Rita knows this, I brought a bunch of farmers in when I was teaching this, when I was still pastoring, I brought farmers in and I asked them to teach me some things and they taught me. They had more fun with me and I'll, I'll talk about them in a minute. But they began to teach me things that I didn't know and the importance of seasons and seeds and, and then that was my sermon series. I called it then Seeds and Seasons. And I, they were teaching me some of that is going to be in this. Here's what I want you to know as we really get in the deep part of this. God is not calling us to work for him but with him. Does that make sense? God has a rhythm and a plan to his, pro to, his, to his ways, and he wants us to work in rhythm with that plan. He wants us to understand the importance of being with him, that being with him is more important than working for him. And when we get to where we're working for him, we can get ahead of him, and we can go into places he's not prepared, operate in seasons he's not supplied, and we can make our work very difficult for us and not very productive. And it strains us, and then we become upset with him as though he did something wrong when really his rhythm was right, his pace was right. We were the ones that got out of pace. We're the ones that set a rhythm different than his. We're going somewhere he's not going. Learning to be in rhythm with him is the key to all of this. Mark 3.14, when he first called them, he said he called them to be with him. And I think that calling needs to just reverberate again and again with us that am I with God? Is it difficult? It doesn't matter. Is it easy? It really doesn't matter. The question is, am I with him? Is he in this? Am I in rhythm with him? Is God in on this? One of the things we have to learn, I learned in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10. 
they're about to, or he's, God's telling them that they're going to enter the promised land, but they're still in the wilderness. And here's what he said to them. The land you're entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you're crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks in rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. They hadn't lived that way because in Egypt they didn't have that same cycle of seasons. They didn't have that same shift of seasons. They didn't know when it was going to rain. But they did have the Nile River. And so they had fixed up an irrigation system where they could take their foot and they could push the board into the current of the river and the water would now flow into their gardens and they could irrigate. So they determined when the, when the garden got wet. They determined when it was time to turn off the flow. There was enough water. They were in control. He said, that's how it was when you were in sin. You had control of some things that you no longer have control of now that you're in rhythm with God. Now, he controls. Now you've moved into his property, into his world, how he does life. And he gets to decide when it rains and when it's not going to rain. And he has a repeatable, dependable seasons that are in place. And you don't make those determinations anymore. He makes those determinations. And when we try to control the church by our own mechanism, we can do all kinds of things to create a false sense of something. But the truth is, when it's His church, He supplies the rain when it's supposed to rain. And He supplies the cold when it's supposed to be cold. So learning to be in rhythm with Him, instead of asking Him to bless what we're doing, changes everything. Y'all still with me? We must learn to participate in what God's doing rather than try to make Him bless what we're doing. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said this, Come to me, all you pastors who are weary, burdened, and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if it's not easy and it's not light, if it's something, then there's something wrong. So we're, we're in this with these, you've got to hear this story. I'm in this with these farmers. And one of the farmers said, Pastor, he said, have you, ever, have you ever plowed behind a yoke of horses? I said, no, but I mowed the grass once. Um, I have no idea. I wouldn't know what to do with that. He said, no. He said, when, when God's teaching you about a yoke, he's trying to say something. I said, what's he saying? He's saying that, that when you get the yoke, you got two horses. Now, you can get a really well-matched pair, but they're not always well-matched. Usually, one's a little stronger than the other. And so there's some adjustments on the yoke. And he had a name for it, and I've written it down, but I don't have it. And you adjust the yoke so that the heavy horse, the big horse, is carrying a little more of the weight. That way, when you get them aligned right, they're now natural pull will help you find a straight road. You won't have to constantly adjust and pull on them because the yoke has been adjusted so you don't have to. He said, what God is saying to you is, I'm a really big horse and you're not much more than a Shetland pony. And so when I put the yoke on, I'm going to adjust it in a way where I'm carrying the heavy load and you're mostly along for the conversation. I said, oh, I never understood that. He said, I got some more to teach you, preacher, before this is over with. And sure enough, he did. He had insight. And the power of that is so true that sometimes we make our ministry so hard because we are doing something other than what the big horse is doing. And instead of walking with him and enjoying it, we're that we got all this stuff going on and we're trying to go here and we're trying to go there. And he's just walking. And he's looking at us. And he's walking. And about, we're finally saying, I need some lunch. I am tired. I am wore out. Why are you tired? I've been pulling all this load. He said, you hadn't pulled anything. I pulled the whole thing. Or you're running back and forth, trying to turn around, trying to pull away. You, got, you wore yourself out, and it's not made any difference at all. The only thing it's done is make you weary. Man. So what I'm teaching tonight is this importance of being in the rhythm with God. That he's already went ahead and prepared some things. We're going we're to get to these seasons. He's already created some atmospheres that are conducive. Too often, though, we're so set on what we're trying to do that we don't even know the atmosphere shifted. We're still, we're still plowing when we ought to be planting. We don't even get it. 
A good farmer always knows the seasons. And he always plants in the right season, plows in the right season, harvests in the right season. And when he does, he has success. If he messes those up and tries to do the wrong thing, why are you out here, why are you out here plowing? Because I like plowing. Plowing's my favorite part. Yeah, but, it, but it's 30 degrees below zero out here. You can't, there's no way you're going to break up that ground. But I like plowing. It's my favorite part. Well, I, I know you like plowing, but you're wasting your time and your effort. You're tearing up your tools. Everybody else is tired. The whole team working for you is tired. The whole church is ready to change churches because you're trying to do something God's not doing. Why are you doing Because it's my favorite and it's what I'm good at. I need to move on. We have to learn to be in rhythm with the attitudes and the works and the atmospheres God's created. He's the big horse. He's going to pull the load. If we'll let him, we'll learn the joy of just being, just enjoying the conversation, just enjoying the fellowship. Lord, we're working. We're getting a lot done today, aren't we, Lord? Yeah, we're doing really well. We're, you know, the problem the Lord said to me one day, you know, the thing is, I'm doing all this, but they don't see me. They see you, and they're giving you credit for my work. I said, yeah, I've noticed that too. He said, well, you could be a little quicker to let them know that it's me and not you. You know, I think I'm going to start working on that. I think you really should. And I mean, that, that's kind of our conversation. I don't know what else to say. I didn't do this. God did this. And when it's not right, I have to take credit for that part. But the part he's doing is incredible. The yoke is always about a connected relationship, a shared responsibility. It's never about individual strength. The yoke makes the work easy, especially when you're yoked with God. Wow. There's so many pastors so tired because they didn't understand who they were hooked to. But whoever's in the yoke, because you're working with somebody, you can't do it alone anymore. They get to determine at least the impact at some level, the speed and the direction that you go. If you think you get to pick the direction and the speed or the pace, then you're wrong because you're only one part of the yoke and you're the weak, weak part. And so God determines the speed. <coughs> he determines the directions. He determines the when, the what, and how, not us. Sometimes if we're not careful, we let the latest book we read determine our direction. Or what God's doing at the church in the next city over determine our direction. We've been affected by so many things when those aren't the things that, we should, that should be impacting us. We should be walking in rhythm with him. And the weariness comes when I live my life like that. I get to the end of the row and I look back and it's crooked. It's not usable. It's got to be done again. Nothing great came. There was no harvest. There was, whatever I was doing is not effective because I was not just enjoying my relationship and walking in yoke with God for me, not for everyone else. Weariness also comes when I bring too much baggage. I mean, I'm just a horse pulling a plow. And then God's, but I say to God, when are we going to have lunch? He said, I got that covered. Well, I'm not sure when you're going to eat, so I'm going to bring my own, my own feed. And I'm going to bring my own water because I'm not sure when we're going to drink. And I'm going to bring my own this. And the next thing you know, we've made the ministry of God so difficult because we're trying to take care of everything before we do anything. And we end up burdening ourselves with all kinds of burdens and all kinds of worries. And we're concerned with all kinds of stuff. And God said, Don't worry, I got all that. I just need you to get in the yoke and start to walk. I know when it's going to be time to eat. And we're going to suddenly find ourselves standing there with a handful on purpose right in front of us. We're going to find ourselves standing with a rock that's got water coming out of it. You're going to again and again see my provision. But if you don't know that I can be your provider and you think you've got to figure out how to pay for it all before you start, you just brought a lot of weight into your name into your life and a lot of heaviness and a lot of burden you put on you trying to do the part God said he'll do. Is this making sense to you? And all of these little pieces lead us into weariness. Remember when Abraham was uh, taking his son up on the mountain, he did not take a lamb for the sacrifice and he did say to his son, God will supply himself a sacrifice. And again and again and again we see the supply of Jehovah Jireh our God making a way for us. Moses didn't take fire when he inaugurated the temple or the tabernacle. They set it all up. He took everything but fire. God provided his own fire. There's always a part God's going to provide that he doesn't want you to take with you. And when you try to take that with you, you're only increasing your load, making it more difficult. Something else to maintain it. Something else to manage it. Something else to transport. All this extra we put on that God says, why are you doing that? Well, because it, I'm going to need it. He said, you don't you know that I know you have needs even before you know you have needs? 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's a, Christian, it's a level of Christian living that allows us to enjoy the ministry rather than be wearied by it. Wow. Y'all with me so far? Yeah. We'll get a little deeper yet. Sometimes we make commitments to people. We make promises. Sometimes we're snared by the words of our own mouth that we're going to do this or we're going to do that. That's why James says, listen to you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or do that or this city or spend time there or carry on business or make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. Be careful not to overcommit yourself to things that are only going to be a hindrance to you. Don't commit yourself to get out before noon every time you have church. Ooh, that was a good one right there. If God moves and things are happening, you don't want to be tied to a time to get out. No, no, say, Pastor, that doesn't even, that's not even a big deal. None of us do that. I know, but it's a great example for where I want to go. You want God to do what he's going to do. If someone's about to, I love, I have a story. This is my story. It's a great story. It's a scary story. It was, uh, I was preaching my little heart out. We're, the church in Saxe was up to about maybe 150 or 60. Wasn't very big. Maybe, maybe not much over 100 in those days. We'd started with 17, so we were having a blast to be that big. And, and I'm preaching my heart out, and, and these two people come in. Is a sharp-looking Hispanic couple come in what, during worship. We, in those days, we still were on the platform, so we knew what was going on. Now they moved us off, so nobody would have a clue. Anyway, that's another story. And so I'm on the platform, and so I saw them come in, and, I, and the Lord spoke to me and said, today's their day. They're going to both give their hearts to me today. I mean, it was so clear. So we're getting through worship. I'm wanting to hurry up and preach, man. I'm wanting to get these guys saved. And so when I finally get my turn, we had great worship, so it took too long, you know, but I got through it. So now it's my turn, and uh, I'm preaching away, and I'm preaching. I'm looking over here, but I'm thinking over there. You know how you do? Yeah, probably you know how to do that. So I'm just going and working at them, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost got that thing where I know I've got the hook in. I'm starting to do, I'm doing this right here. You know, I can, this is going to, I'm going to get them, and I'm excited. And by now, though, I didn't pay attention to the clock. It was, it was about nine minutes after 12. And so uh, the guy that's sitting about, well, I was in center row like this, so he had been in the second pew right there. He was right there, and he was offended by how long I was preaching. And so he took his, he took his hand, and he reached up so the whole church could see his watch, and he did this. I mean, he did that right in front of me. Now, I'm mostly Christian, but uh, <clears throat> that, I'm trying to win a soul. That didn't go over well, I just, but I ignored it. I ignored it, and I kept preaching. Then... Then, when that didn't work for him, at 10 minutes after 12, he bends his head into the aisle and turns it up to look on, at the clock on the back wall. I mean, he contorts himself. He's just weird looking. And he was doing that to make a statement. At that time, I lost it. And I said, this is a true story. I have people that will back this up all the way to the wall. I said, I curse that clock. That's what I said. I mean, it just came out of my mouth before I knew it. It's just, it's out there. And when I said it, the clock made a noise and stopped. That's a true story. Everybody looked back, looked forward, sat straight up. <laughs> I said, don't move, you could be next. <laughs> Nobody was more surprised than me. I did not see that happening. I did not see that happening. I was just... The anointing came on me, and I said it, and it was God, not me, and the clock stopped. I gave the altar call. I had a lot of people saved that morning. It wasn't just those two. <laughs> I mean, I think we set a record for salvations on a Sunday. We had people that weren't sure anymore. They just came down. I, it, was a, it was a great altar call. That couple stayed with us for a long time. God used them. I love them still to this day. It was a neat day. Later on, we're, we, you know, we got bigger, and we'd built a new building, and so we're moved, turning that building into a children's center. And we're moving everything out. So it was a Saturday. And we're getting ready to go into the new building. And we're, everybody's big work day. And I come walking through there carrying whatever. I don't know what I was doing. And there are two guys with a ladder standing on it looking at the clock. And I said, what are y'all doing? They said, 
Pastor, we don't have the nerve to touch that clock. <laughs> and I said, we, neither one of us are willing to take it down. It hadn't worked in two years, but nobody would touch it. So I climbed the ladder and pulled the clock down, and that was the end of that. That's a funny story, but it's a true story. Sometimes if we're not careful, though, we commit ourselves to getting out on time. We tell everybody, you don't have to worry. I always have you out by lunch. No, we don't. There's a lot of other. That's a little thing. That's not a big deal. We don't do that. But sometimes if we're not careful, we do commit ourselves to things. And we end up yoking ourselves to something God's not doing. And then when God is doing something different, we're pulled apart. Because we've said some things we shouldn't say. Be careful what you say and what you commit yourselves to. Commit yourself to God and nothing else. If it's the Lord's will, we will do this and that. That's so important. Weariness comes when we're strained against the yoke, when God leads instead of, when we lead instead of God, it'll wear us out. We try to go the wrong direction. We try to go too slow. Sometimes we look up and we're facing something we didn't know we'd face. And all of a sudden, the pace we've been keeping is more than we want to go because we want to give God more time to work. God doesn't need more time to work. His time is the right time always. But we'll find ourselves pulling back and digging our heels in. And all that does is create emotional weirdness for us. It doesn't change what God's up to. Sometimes we see our buddy doing better than us and we try to speed up the work of God and go to a new place faster and get ahead of God. That wears us out. We must just learn the joy of walking in rhythm with the Lord and being at peace with that. His yoke will move us correctly through the seasons and the atmospheres he's providing. We'll step into winter when it's supposed to be winter and spring when it's supposed to be spring. And we'll be ready for what God's doing. Wow. Wow. So what we understand from this is very simple and I'm going to keep us moving here. But Man controls the seeds but God controls the seasons. That's a whole sermon by itself, and I'm not going to do it today. But let me just say this, that the Word of God is seeds in your hands. You can scatter them and plant them. But, but learn from Mark chapter 4. Jesus gives us the four different soils. And the farmer said this to me in my office. He said, the same farmer gave me, he said, by the way, Jesus' farmer's we're not good farmers. I said, why do you say that? He said, well, nobody would take good seed and throw it in the pathway. He said, I've known a lot of farmers. I've never met a farmer standing out in the street going, yeah, I'm planting me some stuff. He said, no, they, they just, they wouldn't do that. Jesus' farmers, he, they weren't very sharp. I said, well, he's trying to make a point. He said, well, I am too. They were not very good farmers. <laughs> I said, all right. He said, and then, and then to throw it in uncultivated soil where, where the rocks were still in control. He said, you don't do that. And you don't throw it over where there's a bunch of weeds and stuff. You don't do that. That's not what you do. He said, now that last guy, you know what the difference between his farm and their, theirs was? What? He, I, he said he had cultivated and prepared the soil before he planted the seed. And he said, that's the thing. You've got to understand that the soil matters. And if the soil's not been cultivated, you're wasting your seed. Man. So sometimes where we are in life, God's got us in a time of cultivating. It's not time for planting. And we're, we're out there planting and disappointed. I'm doing all this and nothing's happening. Sometimes the kind of word God's going to give us is a word that plows through the soil. It breaks up the fallow ground. It's a different kind of work that God has to do in the process. God controls the seasons. We control the seeds. But we participate with God in the yoke when it comes time to plow the garden and get ready for what he's going to do next. So sometimes, sometimes the way we preach, what we say, how God uses us, is not just for the planting or the harvest. Sometimes the harvest, we heard a great story today about the harvest being years away from when Ann started and the willingness to go in and plow and form relationships and create experiences and the preparation of the soil. Later on, the seed would come. Now there's harvest, and we see that process. In our own ministry with people, there's a rhythm to that to us too. You can't judge the guy next to you and yourself against the same, the same season because you're not in the same seasons. You're not doing the same things, and you've got to learn to be in rhythm with God. Man controls the seeds. You have them, but God controls the seasons. And there's a time for planting, and there's a time not. We're going to cover that real well in just a minute. Matter of fact, I'm going to hurry. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting that clock. It's almost 8 o'clock now, and I'm, 
I'm not going to curse it because that's that's much more expensive than what we had, and I just wouldn't want to be the guy to be the guy to do that. No, that anointing's not here tonight. I promise you. And so what we have is what God told us up front was that there are seasons. Now you understand seasons well because you have four seasons here. There are parts of the world that don't. We understand that, but He was clearly teaching us the importance of seasons and what happens. Spring, I call spring the first season. I know that kind of winter starts for us somewhere in December, and really it's the first season in a sense, but we're going to end with that one. Spring is, I call the season of revival. Spring is when the atmosphere shifts and it warms up and things that have been dormant come back to life. Things that have been dormant come back to life. I call that revival. When the church has been dormant and it comes back to life, don't we call it revival? That kind of fits our terminology. It's a spring Things begin to live again. Things begin to happen that haven't been happening. Things that have, that have just been dead come back. It's a time for plowing and planting and getting new seed out and getting things ready to go. But in a tree, if we just focus on the tree, during the spring, shoots come up. It doesn't bear fruit till the summer, but new shoots begin to come up. Places where the old tree's been purged and cut back, you know, and it's run through the old winter and it's been all that stuff. But now in the spring, it begins to throw up these big old new shoots. That's the new stuff. It's not fruit yet, but it's new life. It's things that can happen that couldn't happen. During the spring of your church, new ministries will be born. During the spring of your life, new ideas. They won't bear fruit yet. They're not productive yet. But you, suddenly there's room for stuff there hasn't been room for. Suddenly there's an energy to do things you haven't had the energy to do. The church says, we want to start this ministry and that ministry. Somebody comes to your office, I feel like God's calling me to do this. And you say, you know what, let's go see. Let's go see. One of the things we know in spring is that everything that shoots up won't bear fruit. But if you cut off everything that's new, you will never bear fruit. And so you may... Make some room for things to happen during the spring. Stuff begins to happen. And God's giving ideas. Some of them are God ideas. Some of them are man ideas. Sometimes God tells you up front, that's a man idea. Don't let it happen. Sometimes he'll tell you, that's a devil idea. Don't let it happen. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in new. Revival allows a lot of new things to happen in the church. If you've walked into revival, you have seen all kind of new stuff happen. All kind of things. And if you're not careful, you'll try to control it. And if you try to control it too much, you'll end up cutting off everything that would have eventually bore fruit for the kingdom. You'll end up cutting too much. Be careful when new stuff starts happening. Give it a little room. The problem with new stuff is new stuff takes up old energy and old space. New stuff takes up budget. New stuff takes up building. New stuff takes up people. New stuff. New babies. All they do is scream and poop and ask for more food. And new stuff is always kind of like that. It's messy. It's loud. It's dirty. And that's part of new. But in spring, new stuff starts happening. It's just new. And when you move into that season, you can't say, look what we did. No, you didn't do it. The atmosphere shifted. When our church was experiencing quite a revival, back in the late 90s, they, uh, folks from, uh, Evangel- I mean, from the Pentecostal Evangel came down and wanted to do an uh, article about us. And, and so they did. They came down and sat through some services and wrote about it and took pictures and made a big deal out of it. And when they got through, they asked us, what, how did this start? And we all had all the staff at my house, and they were there with us. We, we don't know. They said, what, did you start a new prayer meeting? No, we've been having prayer meetings forever. For all these years, we were having prayer meetings. And God's always been moving. People have always been getting saved. This just, just went to a new level. It just took off. I mean, the, the, the atmosphere shifted and made room for things to happen that hadn't happened before. We can't take credit for any of that. Don't say we did this. God just gave us an atmosphere, and when it shifted, it shifted. And you know, sometimes <coughs> that's going to matter to my story as we go forward. But it really did shift, and great things happened. And there for the next five years, for five years, our average Sunday morning salvation count for five years was 17. 17 people saved every five. Now, some days it'd be 30, and some days it'd be 12, and some days it'd be five, and some days it'd be, it's unbelievable. But that was the average over the five years. That's a lot of people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And people say, what do you do? We're not doing anything we didn't do before. We are worshiping to the until the walls come down. And God is responding. Worship is important. Y'all know that, right? Something happens in worship that doesn't happen in preaching. There's, there are two different dynamics. And don't, one of them is not a warm-up for the other. 
I better get back on my target here to get this done. But, but we were seeing great things. Most of the salvations were happening after our worship, not after I preached. Our worship would lead to a move of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit would be in operation in a very dynamic way. The tongues and interpretation. They say, well, that's a big church to have tongues and interpretation. Listen, tongues and interpretation wasn't designed for a small church or a big church. It was designed for the church. Be careful that you don't squash what God's trying to do. Teach, train, empower with the word of God so it's done correctly. But the fact that you hadn't trained people doesn't give you the right to turn it off. It gives you the responsibility to teach and train what the Bible says. All right, I'll get off my horse there and get back on this sermon. So we'd see a lot of people. It'd get to the end of worship. God would move. Uh, there'd be a tongues interpretation. Conviction would fall. I'd give an altar call, and here would come people weeping and crying, and their lives changed. The power of God. We'd lay hands on them. God would break the holds of the past. It was so dynamic, so dynamic. I have so many stories, and that's not what I'm doing tonight. But what I want you to know is we couldn't say we did that. The atmosphere shifted. God did something he hadn't done. The thing that we got right, if we got anything right, was that we were ready to respond to the new atmosphere. Sometimes God gives us an atmosphere, but we're afraid of what it's trying to produce, and we become the enemy of what it's made room for. And sometimes, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself. Y'all going to still love me when I get through? I hope. Sometimes... We're so into what fall is made for, which is clean up on aisle seven. We're so quick to clean, we're not even giving room for new growth. I better, I better not do all that right now or I never get done. But there's this reality that that this atmosphere allowed things to happen. Did everything that grew up during that atmosphere end up being right? No. No, it didn't. But God had a plan, and once I understood the whole plan, it helped me. So stay with me. During that atmosphere, the reign of the Holy Spirit was regular. The atmosphere was full of joy and life. Um, we plant all kind of new ministries. We released all kinds of new things, and it just exploded. We watched... <coughs> God do things that only God could do. Prayer was easy. Miracles were often great miracles that I could tell. And then it began to shift because the next season changes. The season goes from spring, which is when the dormant comes to life and begins to shoot off new spruits and new things begin to grow. It goes in now in the heat. It stops and the new stops coming. All of a sudden, we're not doing new ministries. We're not doing new things. But the old things are gaining strength and health and beginning to produce fruit. The buds are coming out in the heat. Their function shifts. You with me so far? The function of the tree shifts. They were growing limbs. You could almost watch the limbs grow during the spring. They're growing so fast. And now it shifts. Those are slowed down. Now we're seeing these little leaves come out. We're seeing these, these buds come out. And we're seeing fruit begin to come. They're shifting their function. In the, in the, in the summer, God began to move us toward being ready for, for the harvest. Things begin to change. People begin to change what they did. They didn't just come to the church to shout anymore. They didn't just come to run the aisles. They just didn't come to enjoy the atmosphere spring and the joy that was in the house they literally begin to bring their friends they begin to touch people's lives they begin to shift in what they did and we watched them begin to connect differently and the atmosphere was not the same at the first as it was in the in the second it was different my preaching had to change when it was when it was the spring atmosphere I preached faith I preached the love of God I preached the mercy of God I preached the glory of God I preached how great God was as we moved into this one this next phase I begin to preach preach on fruitfulness. I begin to preach on production. I begin to preach on harvest. I begin to preach on, on lost souls coming to Jesus. Every message every message ended with a dynamic altar call and an opportunity to come to Christ. Even though we'd already had one usually earlier, I'd give another one at the end because it was that shift. It wasn't the same. And so the way a farmer shifts what he does when the season shifts, as a pastor, I had to shift what I do based on the season God was providing. Is that making sense? We watched that change. And finally, without telling you all those stories, if this was a two-session deal, I'd tell you stories, but I'm not going to do it. So, so we go into fall then, and, um, and here's, here's how that happened. 
we, would, we were doing Sunday morning services all morning. Then in the evening, we'd had discipleship stuff. That it was small groups, that kind of stuff. And we didn't switch that during revival. We just kept doing it. And we didn't go to multiple services all week long. It was a Sunday morning focused thing. But when there was a fifth Sunday, we would do a Sunday night. And churches, sometimes the other churches around the area would come. And we'd just have a great time. It was just it was fun. It's kind of what everybody was doing. Well, unique to me. Anyway, it was one of those nights. We'd preached that morning, all those services. And then that night, I'd preached again. And uh, God had really moved. Oh, it was dynamic. And there were people that weren't all our church people. They were just people. And they were just laid out all over the place. Um, some of them had been slain in the spirit. But some of them were just hungry for God, just on their faces. And you could just hear this beautiful murmur. I mean, I mean, a couple of hundred, maybe more than that, people just scattered around. And, and, and the main altar part was over. But they're just around the building. And I was just sitting listening to it, sitting on the steps. We had steps like you know, up here, and I just had sat on the steps, and I was just listening to it. It was really cool, and I said, God, this is, this is really great, and I thank you that I don't pastor a dead church, that nothing's happening, but that you're at work, and all I get up to is preach, and you do all this. I just love what you've called me to do, and I'm so grateful for this, and he said, well, it's over. <laughs> I mean, he spoke to me so clear and said, we're going to shift seasons now. I said, what? <laughs> That was me and God. And I said, well, I don't understand. He said, no. He said, You're, you've just about outgrown your root system. He said, you got stuff going on in the church you don't even know anything about. Really? Mm-hmm. So you know stuff? Oh, I know stuff. He said, it's time for us to shift seasons. He said, now, uh, and he started telling me a little bit right there. I mean, now I'm not looking that way anymore. I'm on my face that way. And uh, I was thinking I was fixing to leave and go home and watch Gunsmoke and, uh, and, you know, kind of get over the Sunday. But no, that's over. I'm serious with God. And he said, he said, we're going to make some shifts. I said, God, well, I don't, I don't can, can there another way? Can I, when you say shift, <laughs> is this going to quit? Yeah, for a little while, it's not going to be like this. Oh, God, no, no, this is good. Can I tell you why this is good? And I explained to God, like, you know, he didn't understand and I did. And uh, then he says this to me. He said this to me. He named two churches, and I knew the churches both are huge mega churches. And he, I knew the pastors. He told me, you know, he said, I have been trying to get them to go into the next season, and they will not. They're fighting me. They continue to work in a season that I've no longer created in their church. And because of it, their churches are going to cease to exist within a short period of time. That's what he told me. I went in my office, wrote it down. He said, if you'll let me do this, this will become the church in this community. I said, well, you've done this, not me anyway, so whatever you're going to do, that's got to be right, so just help me follow you. And that's, that's where it began. He then took us into the season that I call fall. Fall is that time when all the leaves go away. You're starting to, you're kind of in it right now. I mean, you're, right now the trees get really pretty just before they get really ugly. Don't you, isn't that how it works? I mean, they're showing off and then they're going to just, just go bare. And so the leaves fell off, all the pretty, all the stuff that made us look better than we really were, all the things that made us sound better than we really were, all the sermons I preached that weren't as good as people acted like they were. There was a lot of that. All of that began to just shift, and all of a sudden, stuff that had been hidden up under the leaves began to be exposed. Stuff that had been sucking the sap out of the, out of the tree and using it for purposes other than bearing the fruit God had in mind. All those things. So that's one of the things the farmers taught me. They said, do you know what those limbs are that grow up in the wrong part of the tree? They grow up too early. And they grow up and they, they come out and they, they, they have fruit and stuff on them, but they shouldn't even be there because they're, they're actually sucking up the sap that should go to the rest of the tree. And because they're there, they are hindering the rest of the tree. you know what you call those? I said, no, sir. He said, you call them suckers. I said, church has suckers. And God told me to start cutting the suckers off. And so during the fall, things begin to be exposed. Things begin to come to the surface. Are y'all still with me? 
things that you thought the church was healthy and then all of a sudden God takes you into a season and an atmosphere that things that have been able to hide can't hide anymore. Things that have been hidden in families. Things that have been hidden, hidden, hidden in, in people's lives. Things that have been hidden in leadership. Things that should not have been done. They begin to come to the surface. And you're like, oh God, this is good. He said, no, what you don't know is it's been there a long time. I've let the church grow and become healthy enough and strong enough to survive what they're about to go through. But you have to work with me in this. And now the job of the farmer or once it's exposed is to get his bow saw and go out and cut it off. I said, God, I read in the scripture where you're the husbandman. I'm just a branch. I don't really do anything. I just abide in Jesus and you do all the cutting off. He said, right, right. That's a whole nother story. It has nothing to do with this. Here's your bow saw and go grow up and be a leader. And suddenly I find myself having to deal with stuff I didn't want to deal with, but it needed to be dealt with. And I didn't deal with it during the spring. I didn't even necessarily know it was there. But if I'd been cutting off stuff during the spring, we'd have never got where we got to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you should have dealt with that a long time ago. But if I'd have dealt with it, I'd have had to cut off four other good limbs to get to that limb. But in the fall, everything shifts. Even what the tree's doing shifts. Before, if I'd have dealt with that one, everybody would have left mad at me. Now, now there's some revelation going on. People are seeing stuff. Now when I deal with it, it's the right season for it. And I begin to cut off those things that are hindering where the church is supposed to go and be. Those suckers that are taking life and sucking up resources and sucking up people and sucking up stuff and giving out bad information. All that begins to be dealt with. And that's not your, that's not your most favorite season, just in case you've not been through it yet. It's one of those seasons. But it's so important to the process. See, here's what I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you that this doesn't just apply to your church, but it applies to you. There are seasons in my life where I'm enjoying spring and the blessing of God and the peace of God and the joy of the Lord. My prayer is so good and God's giving me new opportunities and new things. And then he carries me into time where those opportunities become fruitful and effective and I'm feeling so good. And then God takes me into an atmosphere. He says, now let's work on you. And he begins to show me things in my life and suddenly I'm not so effective out here like I was. Last year I was so good at this and this year I can't make it work for anything. And I'm going, what are you doing in my life, God? He said, I'm pulling all that away and taking away all the pretty that all the stuff that made you look better than you really are remember i'm the big horse and you're the little horse they thought it was the little horse well now i'm letting the little horse pull by himself and we're seeing what's really going on and all of that begins to come true to me and i'm going oh god and then i find out i got a sin in my life god, i didn't know i had a sin god said you've always had that sin i said why didn't you point out that sin a long time ago he said because there was other stuff more important but today in your development where you are that sin has now become very important and we can't go any further till we deal with it and so it comes to the surface and now what I've always just thought was me can't be left in me anymore is that making sense it's what he's doing in me he's doing it in the church he's doing it in me he begins to cut things away and take things and all the beauty's gone and the life sap goes back down and the saw comes out and he starts removing the suckers and he prunes the producers and that, that's the other thing he said now we're going to prune the producers I said now now now, these are good people. He said, I know. But here's what happens when you prune. I want to make, I, I just need a few more minutes. Everybody still with me, right? I know I'm holding you too long. I ask you to forgive me, but I'm not going to stop. And um, here's what happens. Here's what happens. God comes to a branch and he said, look, this branch bore a lot of fruit. It did really well. What do you want me to do with this one? I want you to cut it back about right here. Now, I don't want you to cut it back here. I want, you to, I want it to still have a lot of life coming out of the tree. But I want it about right here because I'm going to shift its function. What do you mean? Next year, it's not going to bear fruit anymore. But next year, right here, when spring comes back, it's going to grow limbs out of it. And it's going to become this limb that holds the limbs. It's going to shift its function. And where last year it was able to produce 60 pieces of fruit, next year the limbs under it will each produce 30 or 40 pieces of fruit. And we will triple its output by pruning it and changing its function. Is that making sense? And so God, I had to go, so that's when I go through the church and I say, God really did use you in a mighty way. God's got his hand on you. You're special. We see the blessing. Yeah, I love this. I love my ministry. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take you from being the one doing the, the ministry and we're going to put you into the leadership of the ministry. And we're going to move you up and multiply you and give you more people to oversee. We're going to shift your function. That's what the pruning does. 
And all of that takes place when there's not, there's not a harvest to lose. All that takes place in the right season, in the right time. I don't just do that all the time. I do it when the season's right, when the shift comes. And I understand that's what I'm supposed to do. Wow. Wow. So that's what happens in, in the fall. And, then, and then, then winter came. Winter was something because when the winter comes, the whole function shifts from what's going on above ground to what's going on below ground. I learned this lesson when I was in Hallsville. Our first little church we pastored was in Hallsville. Both times we started with 17 people. I think I told you that last night. So our first 17 people were just getting started. They had this little house, and it was falling apart. But they said I could live in it. <laughs> so kind of them. But our, our sectional presbyter got together, and they raised $10,000 for me to go in and fix that house up. Now, this is back in the 80s, so you could do something with $10,000. So my brother came, and we got sleeping bags, and we lived in that house, and we worked on it until we got it fixed up enough for Rita to come and join us. We made it into a nice little house. We actually removed some walls. Y'all think moving walls is like a new thing in Texas out of Waco? We were moving it long before Joanna, whatever, had ever moved a wall from anywhere. She wasn't even born yet, and I was already moving walls. Anyway, so, so we, uh, that's, that's been in Texas forever. I just want you to know that. So anyway, we got this all fixed up. It had a hole in the floor in the kitchen. You could see all the way through the dirt underneath it. That was I mean, it was bad, but now we got it all cleaned up. It's really nice, but all this new stuff, it's, it's really nice. Built a porch on it, didn't have a porch. We uh, poured a little parking place because it, it just had a front yard and uh, very redneck. Anyway, we cleaned it up, so we're, we're living there. We barely moved in. We just lived there. It was Rita and myself and our baby daughter at the time was Renee, and we had one bathroom. It was a little one-bathroom house, and I was in the bathroom, and I flushed the commode. That's the part you do, you know, in the bathroom, and then... All of a sudden, the stuff in the commode started coming back. You ever had that happen? Where you think it's going to go where it's supposed to, and then it starts coming back? I hate that moment. It's just not a good moment. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go where I sent you. It just kept coming. I didn't have the, I mean, I could curse the clock, but I, anyway, so I, uh, it just kept coming. So I, uh, I ran down the hall. I went outside, and I, I grabbed a wrench on the way, a big old monkey wrench, and, and I, pulled the, I pulled the cap off the clean out. It had enough pressure. It just shot up. I'm running as fast as I can to get away from that. I could feel those little things coming down my back, but I am moving, buddy. I put, I could, I was moving that day. I, that's speed right there. You should have seen me. I mean, that was something. And so, if you ever seen the movie RV when that happened? No, y'all don't watch that kind of stuff. I'm sure you've never seen that. Anyway, so I come back and uh, I went and rented a snake, tried to clean it, couldn't get it to break loose. So I hired a guy. A lady at church said, call this number. He can fix anything. So he shows up. Sure enough, he pulls up in this big old flatbed Ford Dooley and uh, one ton, got a big motor on that thing, and we plugged it in. He's got all this snake, and he's got all these different bits, and he's working away. So I come out there and watch him, and he's got a little pile of roots, about this tall, about that big around, but he's just pulling out little pieces. He just keeps getting more and pulling them out, and he's got a pretty good pile of roots. So I said to him, I said, well, look at that, all those roots, and here it is the middle of winter. And he's, he been, he's East Texas now, had to back it down in his, that lip pretty good. And he didn't have many teeth up here. Mostly it was just down there is where he had teeth. And he's bent over like this, and he just kind of looked up at me, and he said, you must be a city boy. <laughs> I said, well, I'm from Dallas. He said, boy, roots don't grow in the spring. They grow in the winter. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to go write that down. That is the most profound thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and that's what happened at our church. We went into a winter season. We weren't seeing the growth anymore. People weren't fighting to get in. Through the whole revival, I'd never had an empty seat on the front, front rows of the church. They fought for the front because they wanted to see what God was going to do. They still sat on the front row, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same. We would see some people saved, three or four or five every week. People were still giving their hearts to God, but it wasn't what we'd seen. We would see some miracles, but it wasn't like I'd seen. Everything was shifted. The same people now are coming in. I mean, these are people that could run and jump and shout. I'm telling you, they could, they could tear it up. And now they're bringing their little notepads and their pens, and they're sitting on the front row looking at me like this. Teach us something, preacher. Preacher. 
it was a whole different group. And it wasn't. It was the same people, but the shift in the atmosphere was incredible. I had to, be a, I had to become a theologian. I, I had to say something that mattered. I, I couldn't just get up and make some noise and they all get excited. No, they wanted to learn something. I had to spend a lot more time in my study and preparation. It was good for me, but I had to shift with the season. I poured into them, and I poured life into them, and they, they wrote it, and they changed it. And I watched the dynamic of the church shift because the atmosphere was conducive for it. People would visit, and they'd say, oh, we heard, well, we heard about this church. That doesn't seem to be it at all. That, the same church, different season. Same church, different season. Well, sure enough, later on, the seasons would shift, and God would begin a great harvest again. Today, unbelievable what God's done there. We won't go into that. The, the thing is, and, and by the way, it's, done, it's, it's bigger than it was by far than when I left. It didn't stop when I left, so it didn't have anything to do with me. Let's just put that on the table. But the seasons and rhythms of God. And today, the church God said it would be is the church it is. Because we submitted to the seasons of God. Not only are flowing in the seasons of God good for you and take away your weariness, it's better for the church. It's better for what God's doing in your life. And we learn to be in rhythm with those seasons, walking in the seasons of God. He creates the atmosphere. He creates days, time for rest, a time for work. He creates seasons, each one for their own atmosphere, for their own purpose. And he creates years so that we can count on those seasons coming again. And there's a repetition to the process of what God's doing. Are you with me so far? I'm about through. You can tell I am. My question to you is very simple. What season are you in? You're kind of, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out right now while you're preaching. I'm not sure. I can tell you what I believe. That was true for me. That God usually has me in the season ahead of the season I'm leading. So whoever I'm leading, they're usually the season right behind me, but God gets me through the season first. And then, so when he starts to purge me, I know, ooh, he's about to purge the church. And that helps me get ready because he starts with me and then he lets me lead them. He takes me in the winter first so that I begin to write all these new things and get these wonderful ideas from God and these insights. And then as the church moves in, I step right in. I'm ready to go. I'm not behind. He does that for his leaders, that he moves you into a season and then, then he leads the church into the season. But as I've learned to allow the season that God gives me to guide my activity, my life has become much easier. I grew up in a time when um, everything was a sin and everybody was a sinner and God's coming and only a few are going to make it and you're not one of them. Do you remember those days? Uh, it was all about our haircuts and what we wore and how we looked. And it was. And I'm, I'm not saying there isn't a little value and that we don't need to preach against sin because we do. But we have to be careful that that's not the only message we have. Or we end up using the same message no matter what the season. And it has a good impact in the right season, but it has a, it has a destructive impact in the wrong season. And we learn to align our ministry with the season God is providing. And we begin to see great things happen in rhythm with God. And now we're not so tired and we're much more effective. What does that mean? That means that I don't judge the effect of my ministry only based on what happens at harvest. I judge the effect of my ministry based on what should happen in the season I'm in takes a lot of pressure off of me when I do it that way. 